This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Blood Red podcast as we head back to the year 2000. As the millennium had been brought in, plenty of change was sweeping through the corridors of power at Anfield. Ten years on from their previous league title success, the Reds set out to embark on a season of epic euphoria in knockout football under the management of Gerard Houllier. I'm Guy Clark and welcome along to the first of our latest Nostalgic Reds podcast series as we get set to document that incredible 2000-2001 treble winning season. It was just Houllier's second full season in sole charge. The boot room era was long gone and yet with his mix of homegrown diehards and continental talent as well as the experience of Gary McAllister, Liverpool would go on to create memories for a generation who, until Jurgen Klopp's arrival, would grow up without that all-too-familiar league success feeling. Alongside me, as he was on the road to Istanbul, is Dan Kay. Dan, how are we? Not bad. Not bad, Guy. Not bad at all. Looking forward to uh, looking back over what was one of the one of the great Liverpool seasons. Jamie Carragher, who obviously has been involved in some great, great campaigns after this, notably winning the Champions League, as off you know, he's gone on the record a few times as saying in his long Liverpool career, this was one of the most satisfying and enjoyable ones. And I would totally concur with that because it just felt like a kind of roller coaster that built and built and built from small little acorns into massive big cup final oak trees by the end of it. And it was it was a it was a re- it was a thrilling campaign, it really was. Well, we're back by popular demand from the road to Istanbul last season. Our, our tale of the tape for this year will be to look back on the treble winning season. Unbelievable to think it was 20 years ago. We'll have one of these episodes each month for you. And along the way, we do hope, of course, to be joined by a plethora of guests as we were through the course of last season. But I suppose, Dan, 2000, the new millennium coming in, it was time for Liverpool to wipe the slate clean because, of course, the decade had gone without any title success other than the first year, obviously, of 1990. But in the 90s as well, it wasn't just the league success falling away in the Premier League era, Liverpool on the wane. There wasn't really any honours of note to speak about, bar, of course, the FA Cup in 92 and the League Cup in 95. Well, that's right. It was a funny decade because, you know, it starts off with high hope. Well, with, you know, winning the title with Kenny Dalglish, then obviously Kenny left. Graham Souness came in, which I think at the time was the man, it was the appointment everybody wanted and was happy with. He'd been very successful with Rangers and he won the FA Cup in his first season. But then things really kind of, things were already very much on the decline. I think, I think we finished six or eight that season, 92. And then all of a sudden, by, you know, 93 and 94, Liverpool very much fell into the pack, and you know, and, and the decline became quite quite steep. Uh, FA Cup exits to, to lower league teams in both of those, and all of a sudden, Liverpool seemed miles away. Just at the time that Manchester United were 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 getting strong and winning leagues again, then Evans came in, and, and there was you know there was a real upturn in the middle of that decade with a great side under Fowler, Collymore, and McManaman that really should have won honours, you know. And it, it's always a matter that that was one of the great, the most entertaining. Liverpool teams of the last 30 years but unfortunately they just didn't quite have that whether it was mental strength or whether Manchester United were just a bit better or a bit more professional at times they never kind of got over the line and and again as it was came a recurring theme over the 30 years we get close obviously this happened again under under Hule under under Benitez and under Rodgers get to the point where you felt we were just one step away or one or two players away and then it would fall off and then 
the the end of the decade really was 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 quite grim. Who they came in obviously is joint manager with uh, Roy <coughs> Roy Evans in the summer of nineteen ninety eight. <coughs> that never worked out, and Evans left by the you know the the autumn of that year. And the spring of ninety nine was grim as year. Was Man United were closing on, on in on the treble. Liverpool were really in in just nowhere near. They won match that always people often make reference to was the night United won their second leg Champions League semi in in Turin. Liverpool lost one 0 at home to Leicester with ex Everton Carthorse centre forward Ian Marsh, who was by that stage was about fifty five, scoring a last minute winner, and that just it it just felt how how far Liverpool had fallen away. But then Hulé's first full season, nineteen nine two thousand, was a very positive one. It started it started. It was a difficult start. I think by the end of September, Liverpool had already been beaten at home by Everton and Manchester United. But gradually, the principles who they was, was putting into place started to kind of really kick in. And by the time it got to spring, Liverpool were looking very well placed to achieve what had been the season's primary objective, which was to qualify for the Champions League. But then the season kind of fell off a cliff again. Who they brought in Emil Hefsky, who, you know, who, who did prove to be a very good buy, particularly in this treble season, as we'll get into during this series. But who they jettisoned, one player that had really been one of the key players of that of that 1999-2000 campaign, Titi Kamara, who became a bit of a cult hero for a variety of reasons, not least playing on the playing and scoring the winner on the night his father died against West Ham in the October. But even before then, I think he'd won a lot of fans over, including myself, just with his he played with a real smile on his face and a real kind of joie de vivre, ran at players, scored goals and and I, I always felt who they jettisoned jettisoned him far too soon. I understand he wanted to play Hesky, and obviously Hesky went on to to perform a, to form a very effective partnership with Michael Owen. But the season fell off a cliff. Liverpool didn't score a goal in the last five games, lost three, drew two, and were beaten. But were beaten by Bradford City on the final day. You had to win to stay up, and missed out on the Champions League to Leeds United. Now, with hindsight, you can look back and say that that probably maybe was for the best because I don't think that team was ready for the Champions League, and obviously Liverpool ended up getting some great experience in the UEFA Cup and obviously going all the way and winning it. And that was part of the, the, the treble success. But it, it was it was a difficult summer because, you know, it had been such a, such a positive campaign, but with a really nasty thing in the sale. And there was a fear, with kind of like, well, you know, will they be able to recover from this? United was strong, Arsenal was strong, other teams like Tottenham and Leeds United particularly, you know, were, were really a team and a club on the up. So you, you wonder, you know, who will who can Liverpool bring in? Who will Liverpool bring in? Will they be able to kind of build on the progress, or are we going to kind of fall off again? Um, you know, and, and thankfully, after you know a, 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 an inconsistent first half of the season, you know, I think Liverpool. You know, by the time we got to November, December, Liverpool had already lost four or five away games, you know, to potential rivals like Newcastle and Tottenham and, and Chelsea. But they'd started to build build some momentum in the cup competitions. And that momentum really started to kick in over Christmas and New Year. And by the time it got to February, March, it really, you know, it, speaking personally, it was my final year at university as well. So it was a very exciting time of, of, of life as well. And by the time it got to, you know, like I say, March, April, May, there was just massive games every week, quarterfinals, semifinals, big league games left, right and centre. And it really it really was one of, one of the... the the most enjoyable Liverpool seasons, and you know, and and I'm, I'm sure this series hopefully will go on to reflect that as as we get into it all. Yeah, as you say, there was a topsy turvy nature, seven defeats, as it were, by January. Just looking at the, mm. the fixture list, we'll go through them, of course, in in more detail as we get to it. But I suppose that really highlights the what this squad had in terms of being able to 
performing knockout football because when it was everything on the line and they needed to pull out wins, they could they could do that. But let's then obviously talk about. You mentioned there, obviously, I suppose the groundwork for the previous for, for this season had been led to the previous season. Liverpool second with five games to go, somehow finished fourth. They don't get yeah. qualification for the Champions League, but that means they're into the UEFA Cup and we'll get to that journey before too long. But let's talk then about the summer and I suppose fair to say maybe not quite as busy as the, the summer of 99, Gerard Houllier's first season when he, he made a plethora of signings. But it was nonetheless still a summer of change and I suppose we began to... You mentioned the likes of McManaman, Redknapp and Fowler. Fowler, of course, was still there, as was Redknapp, though, struggling with injury. And I suppose it was time yeah. now for a new local crop of Jamie Carragher, uh, Stephen Gerrard, of course, and Michael Owen really to, to come to the fore, as well as a smart bit of dealing in the transfer window. Yeah, well, well, also as well, a player that kind of made kind of probably his breakthrough after two years at the club in 1990 was Danny Murphy. And he really kicked on in the treble season as well and became a very important part of the, of the Liverpool squad and the Liverpool setup. And well, as you say, there weren't as many new signings that came in. He really had to kind of like rebuild the spine of the team the previous season. And he did that by bringing in the goalkeeper of Exterveld, the centre-back Tipper and Anjou, and Dietmar Haman in, you know, in the middle of the park. So it was more kind of like adding in around the fringes and... Um, you know, the, the standout summer by was you know, the controversial signing of, of, of Nick Barmby from Everton, which um, I do remember thinking at the time, kind of being a little uncomfortable with it. You know, it, I mean, I, I often get called purple because people think I'm too soft with Everton. My, uh, my my dad was a blue. And I just remember thinking it's the kind of thing you just don't do, right? Like Rooney going from Everton to Man United, like Alan Smith going from Leeds to uh, Leeds to Man United. I felt slightly uncomfortable with it. However, when in the, in the late October, as we'll get to, when he scored, Against Everton within the first ten minutes of his first derby, I'd leapt as high as anybody in the main stand, like the biggest hypocrite in Liverpool. That's what, that's what football and derby matches do to you. He obviously he was he was a good player. He'd had a good uh, a good good season for Everton. Got himself into the England squad for the Euros, and you know it, it wasn't a huge. I think six million he came in for. Um, Christian Ziege came in at left back, a slightly controversial move from Middlesbrough. I think Liverpool were kind of had to pay a fine for tapping up. Um, Bernard Diamed came in. I remember being very excited by him. You know, I remember thinking he, he's going to be our rude bullet with his dreadlocks. He'd been part of the French World Cup winning squad. Didn't he quite work out that way. Game, really. um, there, was, there was one game early on against Sunderland where he, he, he had one game where he looked brilliant and was very unfortunate. Not, I remember in the first half, he had an overhead kick that seemed to go over the line. Uh, I was at the, in the main stand towards the Anfield Road and it looked like he'd gone in from where I was. This is obviously in the days long before goal line technology. It didn't go in. Liverpool drew the game 1-1 and he hardly played a game that season. But it, it was more kind of fine-tuned to the squad rather than a big influx. So by the, you know, the, the fixture list, quite in, intriguingly, with Liverpool's season having ended in in certain sense of despair at Bradford City in the May, Bradford was sent to Anfield for the opening day. Um, so that kind of get it, gave it a little bit of an edge and kind of probably maybe helped Liverpool, I think, in some ways in terms of Tuning their focus, there was an immediate chance to kind of a little bit of redemption there. We'll speak about sort of the uh, the Bradford game, the the Arsenal game, and Southampton one shortly. But Southampton just yeah. just on the um, on the transfer business front of what you mentioned there, obviously Barnby and Ziegler had come in for for fees as a diamed, but I suppose if you look back nostalgically now, as you do with rose tinted glasses, as we do. 
two maybe of the, the finest signings were the two frees in McAllister and, and Marcus Barbel came in from Bayern Munich. Well, thank you. To be honest, yeah, yeah, I was trying to think who else to be signed that summer. I may, Matt, you know, Barnby had a big impact early on, but I think the, he only scored eight or nine goals for Liverpool and like all but one of them, were, I think, were before Christmas in that treble year. Babel, I think, has to go down as one of the finest free signings Liverpool ever ever made. He came in from, from Bayern Munich, former you know, Champions League. Did he win the Champions League? With, maybe he didn't win the Champions League with them, but he was a very much an established international. I think he'd won the Euros with, he was part of Germany's Euro 96 winning squad. And he was a terrific player, you know, it, 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 able to defend very solid defensively got forward very well could supplement the attack and just a top class player and I think with a you know a, a relatively young inexperienced squad I, I, I think you know the 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 benefit you know the the you can I can imagine who it is a manager one of the reasons he would have wanted the likes of Babel in there would be the example he would set in training the way he carried himself the way yet the way he trained uh, the advice he would impart to the younger players. And it was a, a terrible shame. I, I had this one terrific year in the treble year, which he played a huge part of, you know, the, 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 the icing on the cake for him being scoring the opening goal in Germany in the UEFA Cup final the following May against Alaves. And then very sadly, he picked up this um, this unusual illness, Guillain-Barre syndrome, I think it's called, you know, something that basically affects the immune deficiency syndrome. And he basically, that was pretty much the end of his playing career. And you know, I think he was only 29, 30. You know, without that, Liverpool could well have had two or three, four more years from him. And who knows, you know, you know gone on to you know, possibly help Liverpool get closer to winning the league, which we all kind of felt in the summer of 01, and in particular the summer of 02, was very much a genuine possibility. Gary McAllister, you know, his name speaks for itself. He became a massive cult hero. There was a... Uh, but who, it became a bit of a recurring theme, but I think at the start of the trouble, the week before the Bradford game, Julier, uh, I think for the first time, he, he, he did it regularly, wanted a home friendly. So a friendly was organised against Palmer on a Sunday afternoon, absolutely poured down that day. I remember getting soaked sitting near the front of the Camden Road stand. But Liverpool won 5-0, McAllister scored. And um, didn't didn't kind of feature too much early on. I think his first goal came against his former club Coventry in the November when we won four one. But obviously, as every Liverpool fan will know, as the treble season kind of reached its epic denouement, he scored this astonishing forty four yard free kick at, at Everton four minutes into stoppage time, and then went on this run when he scored a series of vital goals that is still immortalised in a song, which doesn't get heard of in the you know we love his baldy head. Uh, and there's it's it, it's it's a bit like you know with ninety nine green bottles there's 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 a verse for every goal that he scored. It tends to get only really sung on coaches to away games now, but even now it, it's he is very much revered and loved Gary McAllister, and you know with James Milner possibly I think possibly James Milner has to be seen as Liverpool's greatest ever free signing because he's got a league championship winners medal and a European Cup winners medal on his belt. But I think possibly until Milner arrived, if, if you if if you put people on the spot, I think McAllister would be right up there. But but Babel is worth a mention, and it is is easily forgotten as I did just then. And uh, you know, I'm grateful yeah. to you for reminding me of both of them because they were two a- absolute masterstrokes from the manager, no question. Yeah, no. And uh, as you were speaking there, you speak of a, a German defender coming in a free. 
I know Joel Matim not anywhere near as experienced as Marcus Barbel at the time and a midfielder who'd mm. featured at Leeds United, James Milner, Gary McAllister. There are those yeah, links to the, the modern-day <laughs> Jurgen Klopp side. Well, coming up, we'll get stuck into the first month of the season as Liverpool kicked off against Bradford before visits to both Arsenal and Southampton. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Dan, then we, we teased it in before and podcast going out, I think a, a day after the 20th anniversary of the start of this 2000-2001 season. And as you'd said, it, it was Bradford City who came to Anfield, Emil Heskey grabbing the only goal of the game. And I suppose it did set the season off on the right tone and lay a few of those demons to rest, exercise a few from Liverpool's very near past the previous May, losing to Bradford on the final day of the season and just setting the tone. And I suppose for Emil Heskey, a sign of what was to come, he'd arrived for big money the previous March and wasn't quite going his way. It was a big goal for Heskey because he he came in for, I think, £11 million, won a penalty within the first 90 seconds of his debut, but had to wait four or five games for his first goal, which I think came in a win at Coventry. And then I think I think he scored I think he scored two in a win at, at Wimbledon in the mid in the mid April, and that was the, that was the last goals Liverpool scored that season. I think the, you know that was the sixth last game, and then as we've mentioned, they didn't score a goal for the last five. So I, I'm not saying people had written had written Heskey off, but obviously there was a certain you know sense of unease at how you know like I say it's been so, it had been such a positive season with such a such a sad you know unfitting ending. And the, you know, the, there was this concern, well, you know, is Heskey going to be the man? And um, it was a tough game. Bradford ended up getting, did get relegated, but they started the season quite well and and were obdurate and difficult to break down that day. And one thing that always sticks in my mind is that um, I remember Emil Heskey getting a lot of stick from the crowd that day, whether there was already a little bit of unease that people were, start, people were blaming him from you know, the, the goal drought at the end of the previous season. Um and I remember he, he was, I was in the main stand towards the cop end that day and he was getting a lot of stick from the people by me. And then he, with about 15, 20 minutes to go, he scored a terrific goal. It was the only goal of the game. Liverpool won 1-0. Cut it, cut past a couple of players and rocketed a shot into the top corner at the Anfield Road end. And I remember having a bit of a rant at uh, some of the uh, the naysayers around going, you know, I'm along the lines of, well, let's hear what you've got to say now type thing. So I, I think, it, like as, as I said, I think the, fi- the fixture list, the fixture computer did us some favours in that regard by giving you know, that immediate chance to kind of set the record straight. And uh, it was another thing that kind of very, very occasionally, the, the pre-match setup at Anfield is largely set in stone. The iconic George Seffin still there, usually spinning his tunes from the start. But every so often during the summer, someone has this bright idea. And I remember before the game, it occasionally gets referenced in, remember in fanzines at the time or, or the odd podcast here and there. Someone decided to play Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Two Tribes, like just before the game, not instead they definitely didn't not play and never walk alone, but like at this insane ear splitting volume that kind of every, you know everyone went mad about what the hell is this get it off type thing, and I think that that was kind of quite jarring at the start of, camp, of the campaign, and obviously Bradford were full of beans they were relegated by a mile at the end of the season, but you know at the start of the season they hadn't had all that optimism beaten out of them, and obviously having stayed up against the odds. They were full of beans, thinking they can do it again, and it was a hard game, you know. And then, you know, I think we all hope Liverpool would start off like a house on fire and be two at back by twenty minutes. It didn't happen, and the second half was drawing on. You kind of thinking, you know, a home draw, at, you know, against Bradford is not the way we want this season to be started. They had a team of a lot of experience. You're looking at the lineup here: the you know, Lee Sharp, Dan Petrescu, 
Dean Windass, David Weatherall, Stuart McCall, ex Everton, Ian Nolan, formerly a Tranmere. You know, they 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 they, they made it very difficult for, for that day, and it was you know they will have Barnby making his debut, Babel in there. Um, it, it it was a tough game, but thankfully, you know, Liverpool dug deep, um, and Heskey uh, scored a really important goal, I think, for him to kind of like help settle him down after. You know, we were still very much finding his feet as, as we went on to really know and see over the course of his, you know, not just his Liverpool career but his England career. He was very much a confidence player, Heskey, and uh, I think I think that goal did him a lot of good, and and I think particularly is just looking quickly down the fixtures now. I can't see too many other games Hesky scored, scored in until we kind of got to October. Once he did get to October, he went in. He went on probably the best goal-scoring run of his Liverpool career. I think this was certainly the best season in terms of goals of his Liverpool career. But it, it really all started with that opening day against Bradford and uh, that important winning goal that he got in the uh, in the closing stages. Well, midway through the second half, I think it was. Yeah, sixty-seven minutes. Yeah, well, and. Straight after that, then, of course, 48 hours later, it's a trip to Arsenal, the side who benefited from, I suppose you can call it, Liverpool's collapse at the, the back end of the, the previous season and were able to get into Champions League football. But a feisty game, fair to say, three sending offs over yeah. the course of the 90 minutes. But then... You know what? From what I can remember, it wasn't even that feisty. It was just, it was Graham Paul. Yeah, I was... Graham wa- Paul was the referee. I was watching the highlights very, back just before... Yeah, I was watching the highlights, but before and Dima Herman's second yellow card um, is very I, soft. I mean, I know we normally look back on football of yesteryear and say, "Oh, the game's changed," but he, <laughs> it's the slightest. I, th- I, I wouldn't even call it a tug. His, his arm brushes Robert Perez's. He stops, and all of a sudden, it's a second yellow card and a red. And yeah, it did seem very strange. Paul, Paul was always those one, one of those kind of referees where you got the impression. I mean. It, only a few months before the the, the 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 most recent derby match at the start of April, I think I think that I think that was the first of the five games Liverpool didn't win. That's gone that's gone into Merseyside derby focal because that was the match where nil nil literally in, in the final seconds of the game, Sander Vesterveld tries to take a goal kick too quickly as Everton's Don Hutchison is walking away. It hits Hutchison on the back and loops back over him into the net, and to Evertonian's horror. And Liverpoolians, massive relief, including me, was sitting with the Everton fans in the top balcony that night. Paul basically said, "No, I've blown the whistle," and it was a it was a ludicrous decision. If that had gone against us, we'd have been absolutely apoplectic about it, and and rightly so. And he always gave the impression that he was one of these that we were starting to get into an era where you know referees started to have were being involved in the media and asked about decisions. And I got the impression with some of these referees that kind of you thought sometimes if they if they make a bit of a persona for themselves, if they have a bit of a reputation, there's potentially work for them afterwards. You know, I mean, but Paul wasn't all, you know Paul was an international referee. I think you know he, he worked. He may well have been the, in the England representative at the Euros that summer. Wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if he did. But he always seemed to be one of those where he liked the line like a little bit. And, you know, they always say a good referee is when you don't notice him. It was very rare that you didn't notice Graham Paul if he wasn't refereeing. It wasn't a particularly nasty game. But it was, I mean, Leeds United really were the team that took advantage of Liverpool slump at the end of the previous season. Arsenal were, even though this was a, this was the middle, this was the third, the, the treble season was the third of United's three seasons in a row. But Arsenal were really only, Arsenal were United's only real credible challenges for the title. 
So it wasn't necessarily a massive surprise that Liverpool should lose at Arsenal, even though they'd won the previous season when Peter Kamara scored, they won 1 0. It was Arsenal away was always going to be one of the hardest games of the season. So I think what was really more concerning was what happened in the third match at Southampton. You know, I, I think probably at the start of the season, if you'd said Liverpool will beat Bradford at home and lose to Arsenal away, you'd be like, well, I'd like to think we'd get a point at Arsenal, but it wouldn't massively surprise me. What happened at Southampton, I think, was a bit of a, a wake-up call, that, and probably, probably for the manager as much as anybody else, that there was still a fair, a fair bit of work to do. Yeah, and you, you, your tears on nicely to that because just the way in which Southampton came back into the game and there's something I wanted to reference in terms of work that Liverpool needed to do and I mean the goalkeeping situation wouldn't get resolved for a little while but Sander Westerveld at Highbury dropping one onto the foot of Lauren from a corner early on to give Arsenal the lead in that game and then mm. you go to Southampton 3-0 up, 17 minutes to go, what can go wrong? And, uh, well, for, certainly for their first goal, he makes a horrendous mis- misjudgment, a back post header from Pahars, thinking it's going to get nodded down, comes off his goal line, it's put in at the near post, and all of a sudden, Liverpool begin to uh, get a bit shaky in defence and culminates in Jimmy Traore setting up Pahars for a last-minute equaliser. Yeah, I always felt a bit sorry for Sander Westerveld. I mean, I mentioned before, this was the, the travel year was my third and final year at university, Liverpool Hope. Now, in the second year, uh, for one module, I had a uh, history lesson and got friendly with uh, a girl who it turned out was, San- was Sander's girlfriend. Literally, really, the, the first day we had to be standing outside chatting, she had a foreign accent, happened to say, oh, where are you from? And she said, oh, Enschede in Holland. And I said, oh, that's where Liverpool's new goalkeeper's from. And she goes, I know, he's, he's my family, he's my partner. So uh, even, if, even in that first season, he... He wasn't a bad goalkeeper. He had quite a good... I remember him saving a penalty against Arsenal, actually, from Davos Schuker, I think, uh, in a match Liverpool 1-2-0. He had a couple of flaky moments, but he was young, and you kind of think, well, with a young goalkeeper, he will, you know, hopefully that will develop over time and he'll become a bit more secure. You you mentioned the Arsenal game. There was a game at Chelsea towards the end of September when he had a poor game. And and also, even um, the... Particularly the, the, the... the UEFA Cup final, um, which obviously ended up being one with this dramatic golden goal. He made a, you know, it, it, Robbie Fowler's goal when he came on as a substitute should have been the winner because literally in a stoppage time, he did a David James-esque flat from a corner and Jordi Coy equalised. And that's why when, in the following season, when he had a nightmare at Bolton, that was the final straw for Gerard Houllier. And you know, he, he was so desperate to replace Vestavell that he ended up buying two goalkeepers on the same day. You and Chris Kirk. And it was quite a brutal end to his career Vestavelli and he never really kind of I mean I think he ended up playing for Everton briefly he had a brief loan spell at Everton a few years later and it, 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 it always felt a bit sorry for him that even if he might not have been like, you know, the top level that Liverpool needed he's certainly not in the same league as Alison Becker he was quite harshly treated but I guess you know, it, it, you've, you've got to be quite ruthless at the top level and, and Hulé obviously showed that he had that in spades but yeah the, the, the as I say Six points from the three points from the first six wasn't too bad, but and even you know, Southampton Vidal as it was back then. I think this is maybe the, maybe the, the I think this might have been the last season at Vidal actually. Um, I think it was yeah. That, this this would have been the last game Liverpool ever played there. It was always a difficult place to go, but if you're three 0 up with quarter of an hour to go, or twenty minutes to go, whatever it was, you should not be coming out of it. You you you, you should not be coming out of it with anything less than three points. So uh, you know, I do remember after after that. So after that, after Southampton's comeback, Liverpool had won one, drawn one, and lost one. 
from from the first three matches, and it was very clear that um, you know there was still a fair, a fair bit to do. Of course, the other aspect as well was that it was now fair. You know, we were now used to international breaks fairly early in the season, so there was no game for another ten days. So so everybody had ten days to stew on it, and kind of um, yeah, it, it it wasn't the perfect start to the season, but maybe it just kind of gave a little snapshot that this was going to be one of those kind of seasons when it was it was going to be an absolute roller coaster and you know it, it basically started as it as it meant to go on and and and, and did so yeah, and that roller coaster would really kick off in September. That then marks the first month, the transfer dealings that Liverpool did in those games with, of course, Bradford, Arsenal and Southampton. Into September, then Liverpool would begin their UEFA Cup run and they would head to Rapid Bucharest to get the uh, that tournament underway under Gerard Houllier's reign. And we will, of course, be back next month to reflect on that game, as well as, of course, the league fixtures that Liverpool would play with West Ham United and Sunderland but from myself Guy Clark and Dan Kay alongside us thanks for joining us here on the Blood Red podcast for now though it's bye for now you've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo